So last week, uh, and these are going to be really short sermons, uh, you know, because all of us want to go home and take a nap in this rainy weather. I get it. I understand. Uh, so yes, great. So using the scripture in daily life. Last week, we talked about how do I communicate God's plan as good news. And if you're following along with this sort of structurally, the first week, last week was God's plan. This week is God's character. And next week will be God's work. And that's very intentional. And the reason it's intentional is because in my experience with uh, talking about people who really aren't Christian, didn't grow up in a Christian environment, the plan thing is kind of like out there, God's plan. That's like, first, I want to know if that sounds reasonable and decent and is in, you know, uh, important. And that's where I told you last week, using stories, using quotes from the scripture, ultimately engaging major themes can really help you communicate God's plan to people who really have no sense of God's plan. They might know the church's plan or uh, what some Christians around them plan to do with their life, but really knowing God's plan from the scripture and communicating that is really effective for getting people to be uh, you know, even remotely interested in knowing about God and learning uh, something about him. Let me say one thing in sort of a side note here because so plan, step one, character, step two, work, step three. This reminds me a lot of a book I read about, no, probably 10 years ago now. It's called I Once Was Lost. How many of you read that book? Okay, yeah, a few people. It's a really, really good book, short, and it's basically a study that was done in Southern California of uh, about two, I can't remember the exact number, anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 Christians who had become Christian in the last year or two years, and this study, uh, they were all within the Campus Crusade organization, kind of wanted to chart how the process worked and were there commonalities in them coming to faith. And it, it was amazing just how much there was a process. Not that methods helped, but there were these thresholds that people had to kind of overcome before they uh, ultimately committed their life to God. And, and the first one was just trusting a Christian. That was like step one, okay? And these barriers, these obstacles are you know, insurmountable for some people. They're gonna be there for 10, 20 years. But of course, college students are a little bit more fluid and can change quickly in their thoughts, behaviors, things like that. So this timeline was easier to see over a case of a year or two years. So second was actually being interested in spiritual things. So just because they trusted a Christian didn't mean at all that they were interested in spiritual things. Third, interested in specifically Jesus and learning about God. Right? And then fourth, ready to actually make a commitment based on recognizing that there has to be some action, some commitment being made. And that may sound really simple, but actually it's very helpful for me to think through, okay, so how would I communicate uh, you know, scriptural ideas, themes, questions, stories to people somewhere uh, along uh, you know, this, uh, you know, this process or this, uh, this pathway? All right? So just to remind you again, trust any Christian wanting to know about spiritual things, wanting to know specifically about Jesus, about God. That's why last time I mentioned something to you that might seem kind of weird, but making biblical uh, scripture trivial, common, every day in conversation can be really helpful, and not using the Bible, because some people may be interested in spiritual things, but they're not very interested in things that are overtly Christian. Uh, and, uh, and that can be very helpful in having conversations about those things. So last time I gave you those three quotes, stories, and themes on how to communicate God's plan as good news. Today is how to communicate God's character as good news. So once someone has some decent understanding of the plan 
okay, or at least how this world ought to work, that assumes they have a belief in God, probably the biggest obstacle to overcome is recognizing and believing that God is actually a good God. I posted something on my Facebook not too long ago that showed how most Americans believe there is a God. But what that means varies drastically, okay? From the kind of theist, deist, kind of just set the world in motion and sat back to very, very specific qualities, uh, even so much uh, as emphasizing certain things about Jesus's maybe judgment or love uh, and ignoring others. And so there's a wide variety of ways that people believe in God throughout that. But I think one of the most important things uh, that even Christians have to wrestle with on pretty much a daily, weekly, monthly basis is, is the God that we believe exists a good God? Is he actually good? And more importantly than is he good, is he powerful? Well, it's not more importantly. Let me say it's on par of importance. Is his goodness uh, equal with his power to make me good as well. I mean, you know, is he ultimately going to make me good or is, is God just going to sort of sit back, be good, and then, you know, judge me from a position of holiness and goodness? You know, the, the most powerful message of the gospel is that God has created us to be good and in his power will make us like himself. But if we don't know that he's good or believe that he's good, we probably don't really want to be made in his image, Right? So this character issue is incredibly important, and it's amazing to me how few Christians consider the centrality of God's character in their theology. They espouse all kinds of ideas about God's this way or that way, or Christians should be this way or that way, or behave this way or that way, but underneath that, they've never really thought about what are the implications that that theology or behavior or rule has about God's character and who he is at the core of his nature. And if you're not asking that question, you're missing almost all there is about having a personal relationship with God. The whole idea of that personal born-again language, which has become so trite, is that you begin to know who he is and find out in real life about that goodness. But a lot of us are pretty satisfied with having theology or having uh, a rule book on how to live without ever connecting any of that to God's very nature himself. And I would say that if it's not connected to God's character, then what ultimately do you have but just another religious system of beliefs that you've signed on to or another way of life to feel comfortable living so that you have some kind of feeling of value or significance or righteousness or success. And so the key of, of knowing God is ultimately about knowing his character and being able to, uh, as Christians, communicate his character as good news to folks. So, um, yeah, very, very, very important. Do we believe at the very core of who God is, we have and serve a very good God, and we can articulate that goodness in ways that are really uh, um, scriptural, but also experience and very specific, not just like my brother who, man, I love getting to make fun of him right now because I haven't had a good uh, joke about him in a long time. Uh, it's my middle brother, Garrett, for those of you who know. Yeah, I grant I got plenty of jokes about, but when Garrett decided he wanted to get married, boy, oh, he decided he wanted to get married. 
He was dating for a year like it was an interview process. <laughs> One girl after the next, and just, baby, he was ready to get married. And I'm like, wow, man, that's crazy. I'm not like that. You know, I, I get over one girl like six years, I'm still like thinking about that, you know. And then finally, I, but he's like six weeks, boom, next girl, you know, dating, trying to figure him out. And every time I talk to him about, you know, what do you like about these girls? And he's like, well, you know, it's really vague, nice, she's good, she's great. It was never very specific. Um, and I don't think he ever really paid much attention to that until he met Erica and then had some pretty specific things about her that he really enjoyed. And I can start to kind of see and tell, okay, he's thinking through this a little bit more. It's not that he's, he's a nice, good person. Well, when we think about God's goodness in very vague or communicate God's goodness in very vague ways, we're no different than, you know, sitting across from that person who says they're in love with, you know, whoever they're in love with, but don't really have any specific qualities they seem to be in love with. And that's very important, uh, that we have uh, very experiential and knowledgeable things about God's character that we can communicate uh, to other people. And uh, man, then, that's, that's uh, super important, right? So, one of the first things, okay, so I've got kind of three little small points here, and then uh, I'll be done. And, you know, obviously, how, how do I communicate God's character as good news? Well, the obvious uh, answer for most Christians is you've got to go to Jesus, right? You've got to look at Jesus' behavior and that is going to communicate more than anything, uh, you know, God's character. The scripture itself says this, right? In Hebrews and in multiple other places, Jesus himself, if you know me, you know God. Okay? The, end of, uh, uh, the best way for us to understand God's character is through Jesus. Now, there's a problem with this. A couple things I'm going to say. Number one, for people who aren't interested in Jesus, and, and most people are fine with him, they respect him, still even pointing to Jesus' behavior is a little bit off-putting sometimes to some people, particularly if it's Jesus did this, Jesus did that, he was this, he was that. Again, without uh, sharing specific stories or specific examples from scriptures. Worse though, many of us still, in trying to communicate about God's character, cannot figure out how to deal with Jesus in the New Testament and God in the Old Testament. We just don't know how to do it. And I think I'm going to preach a sermon series about it. Just give me some feedback today on what you think. Um, but I was thinking July, I get the, you know, Leslie picks June and I do July. And I'm thinking July might be, um, how can we possibly call uh, the God of the Old Testament a good God? All right? Maybe that, I feel like I've done it before, but who knows? So if you like that idea and you think that would be really helpful, give me some feedback after and let me know if that's something you want to do. But we have a real tough time with this. We like to ignore the Old Testament, completely get rid of it as if God was somehow different. And for some of us, we really almost do have these very heretical ideas about God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. So yes, we want to focus on Jesus' behavior and the things that, uh, that he uh, does. But like I mentioned about God and specific character traits, we have to be very careful that we share specific things from Jesus' ministry and who he is. Because otherwise, people have very vague notions of what Jesus did. And not only that, but Christians talk all the time about loving Jesus, okay? And that their love for Jesus compels them to do different things. But the problem with love for Jesus, or even following Jesus, is you can follow someone. Let's say, do you follow people on Twitter? I don't know really even know. Is that right? Boom. Killed it. Uh, I can follow someone on Twitter, right? Because I'm interested in the things that they say and maybe interested in what they have to give on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis. But that does not mean that I'm committed to them in any way, shape, or form. 
in the same way that I can love Jesus and have absolutely no commitment to him. And I think people pick up on that when they hear phrases like, I follow Jesus or I love Jesus. Oh, well, how do you follow him? In what ways? Give me an example. Uh, you love him, love him in what ways? What does that mean? What do you have to love about him? What do you love what? That he looks kind of like a white, uh, long-haired rock star from the 60s? Like that's <laughs> that what you like? That he's, you know, looks nice? I mean, what, what do you like? Uh, and we use these vague terms that don't have uh, and aren't very helpful to a lot of people who don't have those same connections uh, and watch other people who say they love Jesus and follow him, not be committed to him at all. All right? And so Jesus' behavior, this is uh, an important one, uh, but we've got to come back to what it is in Jesus' behavior that we want to link up with God's character. One of the most famous, uh, obviously, scriptures from the uh, New Testament, well, it's really not a word-for-word scripture, it's just a Leviticus idea that gets translated to New Testament that we say usually treat others as you want to be treated, right? The golden rule. This is not a new thing, guys. Long before Leviticus said, love your neighbor as yourself, Confucius said, don't do unto others as you wouldn't have them do unto you. This Confucius statement, you know, uh, uh, goes well before this Leviticus uh, law and statement kind of came to mean what it meant. Not only that, but the whole treat others as you would want to have them treated seems to be kind of like uh, overruled by something else Jesus said later on, what would, which would be what? Like, yeah, love others as I have loved you, he tells his uh, disciples as he, as he leaves. The, 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 the standard for love and for behavior is no longer human love and human interactions, even the best of human love, but is now the love that I have shown you in this short period of time, which is the model for how, what you had before, which was at the best, the best of human love. And so treat others as you want to be treated has now become love as I have loved. This, again, is, in my mind, the place we start with trying to get people to understand God's character and his love and why he treats people the way he does. Whether we're using that in Jesus' name or scripture or whatever or just simple uh, you know, stories. One of the things that always hits me, and I'm still terrible at it to this day, is Jesus touching people with skin diseases. You know, he touches people with skin diseases. We know he doesn't need to. He can heal from afar but he almost always touches people with skin diseases. There's not another typology in scripture or type of uh, ailment that Jesus does the same thing in terms of his uh, operation of healing uh, more than so when he touches lepers. And to me, that means a number of things, but I'll tell you what it means to me at the core of who I am and who I'm not, and that is that Jesus isn't just about doing what's right for people, He's about expressing how much he cares about them. And I'm terrible at expressing that to people. Because at the end of the day, I'm like, shoot, I healed you. You better know that I love you, all right? <laughs> whether I had to say it, whether I had a mean face on the whole time, you got healed, so you got yours, and I'm moving on. <laughs> That's how I think about love. I don't express it very well, Okay. And I don't even think this is a guy-girl thing. I really don't. Expressive uh, is really just more of a personality trait. Now, guys may be more likely to uh, hide it or feel like it's, you know, not okay. And girls might be more likely to, like, over-express. I don't know, but I, don't, I think these are just personality traits. 
Um, so, yeah, there we go. So, it's amazing. I mean, you know, what does that say ultimately at the core of God's character? He isn't just some, you know, cold, uh, you know, stone-faced, let's fix the world, hurry up, get it done. He is the God that looks across at the person who is insignificant and in their deepest moment of pain, and before anything gets done, not after it gets done, he has the time to reach out and touch that person. In their worst spot, in their grossest spot, that's at the core of God's character, that is who he is. Uh, and it isn't a matter of get clean first and then I'll touch you, or I'm too busy, uh, you know, you should, God is expressive and wants to express his deep care and concern for us. I mean, there's, there's, that's, that's, there's no better news than that, really, if we, uh, you know, can live in that context each day, particularly for those of us who grew up uh, with troubled homes in terms of parents or uh, folks like that who wanted that kind of love and affection and care and concern, that is even more amazing, but also more hard to believe, I think, that God is like that uh, when we necessarily don't see it around from those people. But th- this is an amazing thing, Jesus' behavior. So being able to communicate that story and talk about that has been huge in my life in bringing me back to this place of recognizing, man, you've got to be more expressive. You express opposite of your feelings sometimes, and that's just not Okay. And this rigid exterior and non-expressive thing, which is kind of the environment I find myself now in and the fields that I'm in, are just not okay. They're just not okay because they're not consistent with God's character. Any more than God is a grandpa who's sweet and kind of tells stories that don't make sense and are too long <laughs> and just sits there and, you know, talks about whatever. The other extreme of that, you know, looking at God in very, very uh, unrealistic and unhelpful ways. So... Jesus' behavior, got to go there when we're going to try to communicate God's character. But guys, there's, there's other passages. There's other ways of going about this. Uh, and while Jesus' behavior can be very, very helpful, again, if we're specific to share stories and things that I- impact us, um, and also sometimes self-deprecating stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one thing for me to say that Jesus has helped me be, you know, uh, less negative, I'm like, okay, well, that's good. Like, what do you mean, like, on a day-to-day basis, like, overall? But it's something else when I can actually share, hey, this is something outside of my personality that I am challenged by the character of God to be different in. Because, you know, at the end of the day, most of us, we're just conditioned to do a lot of the things that we do. We're just kind of conditioned. I mean, we don't think a lot about it. Um, Some of my favorite uh, terrible science is the 19th century psychologists who all feel like they have to prove the difference between humans and other animals, right? This is the, you know, evolutionary time period, so everyone wants to prove the difference. Even they want to prove the difference because they want to say that they're so completely different that there's no way we could have evolved from a common ancestor with apes, or showing that, yes, we evolved, but look at how many better traits we had. Here's the thing I don't ever understand during that time period. Why were they experimenting on dogs? Dogs are not that smart. I love dogs, too, just as much as you, compared to other animals in the animal kingdom. They're tricky. They trick us into thinking they're smart because they can read our facial expressions. But that's just evolutionary breeding and that kind of thing. I mean, why weren't they working on apes? Did they not know where they were? I mean, what what was happening? Um, I don't understand. But everybody in the 19th century worked on dogs, okay? And one of my favorite was George Herbert Mead. I've mentioned him before. He was the guy that did a lot of the uh, conditioning stuff. You play like some rain, and a dog would go and fetch an umbrella and then bring it back, you know, without having been told, that kind of thing. 
Well, he decided that he would one day put a raincoat instead of the umbrella, all right? Uh, and put the rain sound on and then let the dog go and uh, see if he'd bring the raincoat back. Well, of course he didn't bring the raincoat back, right? Well, number one, he doesn't obviously know what a raincoat is, but that's not why. Mead believed that the reason he didn't do it is because he doesn't have the human ability to think of himself as doing something in the future or in the past. He can only think about what he's currently doing at any given time, all right? And he called that the I. And the only thing that makes humans different from animals, according to Mead, was that we have the me, which means anytime you plan for a future conversation, those of you who are already falling asleep and thinking about, I can't wait to, for my head to hit the pillow later on, you're doing what only you as a human can possibly do. Now, I don't know up-to-date animal research. Maybe animals now can do this. Can, as if they changed in the last hundred years. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it really was an interesting idea. And he went on to say that most of us act out of a conditioned eye. We are only responding in the moment to what we're doing. So if someone's angry on the phone with us, we're angry back. And I think one of the things that's really uh, helped me is I've kind of come to understand the whole how does God ultimately work within us and work beyond our personalities and despite our personalities is the Spirit is kind of slowing us down and giving us a recognition of the me. It's what James says at the very beginning of James that, you know, the Spirit... Uh, gives us wisdom and gives us an understanding of those delusions we have and keeps us from destructive desires. In a sense, he actually makes us more introspective, giving us a sense of who I really am compared to who God created me to be. I think that's one of the main roles of the Spirit. So when we talk about behavior or how we act, a big part of behavior is about recognizing how much am I just sort of like doing what comes natural to me And how much have I allowed space for the Spirit to really change those things that don't come natural to me so that God's character can be expressed to the people around me? Because what other, uh, you know, reason would they have? Oh, I got fixed. I changed my personality a little bit. You know, no, most of us don't do that. But the Spirit is actually working in powerful ways to bring us more in alignment with His character. And that character is the thing that ultimately uh, you know, communicates, I think, to people God's character, these deep qualities about God's character that some of us may have natural aspects of uh, and others of us don't, but none of us uh, fully, for sure. I may mention all that because I want to talk about the whole idea of the one another passages. So many of the one another passages are impossible to do for most personality types. They're just hard. I mean, really, they're hard. And if you go back and read just even the 47 one another passages that that are directed uh, at Christians specifically, this is some really hard stuff. And some of it's hard culturally, some of it's hard personality, but these one another passages are absolute guidebooks for not only having healthy relationships, which is helpful and practical, but for understanding the very character of who God is. These one another passages are how God treats us. Bearing one another's burdens, humbling himself, uh, and putting honor on us, that's crazy. I mean, Philippians 2, that, it you know, talks about uh, Jesus coming to all those things you know, for our sake. These one another passages, I think, are great passages for talking through and thinking through and communicating in a daily sense uh, to people who, uh, who really want to know who God is. And of course, those one another passages, as we do them, right, and actually engage in them are a testimony to God's character in us, particularly for those ones that we are not even remotely good at doing. Like, I don't even want to begin to talk to you about how much I will never consider myself as belonging to another person, all right? 
mean, that's one of the one and other commands. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not even, that's like 60 years down the road, maybe. Or if I live to 120, 85 years down the road. I don't know why I needed to do that calculation in my mind. <laughs> so, but one of the ones that always gets me uh, is the Romans 12.10, uh, outdo one another in showing honor. Um, that's one translation. Another translation just, you know, devoted to one another and, you know, uh, on, on one another above yourselves. Guys, I mean, just think about how hard that is to do. In our individualistic society where we're all sort of achieving, you know, success and uh, outdoing one another and showing them honor, how, how much do you do that? I mean, I don't, maybe you guys are decent at it. I'm not, I don't even think I've done one, like, maybe one time this entire year. <laughs> I don't think I've ever shown any, outdone anybody else in showing honor to anyone. But again, the focus here isn't on just how bad I am at doing this. It's knowing that God himself does this. This is his core to his nature. Jesus, in honoring the people around him, consistently honored people who were unlikely. Right? I mean, he would, and he even paid honor to the people who deserved none of it. Whether it was because they were talking uh, bad about him or whatever, he had an ability to show and give honor to people, uh, you know, not only who just, you know, more so than himself, but to others. How many times do people come up and try to kind of, you know, uh, blow his, um, uh, I can't, conscience? No, that's not right. Ego up by saying you're good, you're this, you're that, constantly pointing back to the Father, which many of us think is a weird theological argument, but I don't think so. That was just indicative of the character of God, uh, outdoing one another uh, to show honor. I love that. That's so great. All right, and then the last thing. So to wrap this up, because I think this has been a little unorganized, uh-huh. who would have guessed? Um, in order to use Scripture in daily life with the intention of communicating God's character, number one, we've got to pretty much focus on Jesus' behavior. Whether or not the behavior is always articulated explicitly as Jesus doing something. I mean, it's not like you're hiding, like I knew this guy once who did this thing and healed a man. And Okay, I thought that was pretty funny. But, um, but again, using scriptural passages, uh, saying things like scripture and actually telling stories uh, can, can be really, really helpful. And I think the bigger deal is not so much identifying Jesus, as I mentioned, but it's about using vague statements uh, where we're not connecting Jesus' behavior to specific things he's done that are things that we're supposed to understand about God's character. We're just generally saying things. Uh, he was forgiving. He was nice. Yeah, but how is that helpful if you haven't shown a story of that someone isn't going to know? How much more powerful is it to know that God cares and is concerned with us because he touches a leper then he just cares for us. Jesus cares for you, bro. Yeah, that's sweet, I think. You write it on a receipt? No, that's not going to work. Come on, man. Kidding me? Uh, sharing scripture uh, you know, means going more into that. So the Jesus behavior, one another passages, again, are a great point. And you can rephrase these uh, in a million different ways to make more sense in our surrounding. But these one another passages should mostly be memorized. And, uh, you know, it can be great opportunities to say, man, that's like the bar that I'm you know, set for myself, and I've just failed on that, or I've learned this thing about that, because at the end of the day, I believe God is this way and is trying to make me more like that. Uh, those are things that just make sense, and someone can disagree with you all day long, but it's not some accusation or judgment you're casting on them. It's a way for you to share the scripture in ways that are very life-giving and empowering 
and ultimately bring things back to how uh, good God is. And then the last one, and this is just like the last one last week on themes. It's hard to wrap your mind around completely and fully. But what kind of undergirds or or, uh, founds this whole idea of Jesus' behavior and one another are just the ethics of Scripture. Some of us really don't pay much attention to how much Jesus uses, excuse me, whoa, hi, uh, quotes directly from Leviticus in his ministry. And the reason is not because Jesus is super into sacrificial system. It's because so much of Leviticus laid the framework for how to treat people in accordance with God's character of being a holy person set apart from, uh, from everything else. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go back and read through Leviticus. Leviticus is awful. Uh, but you could read like, you know, a short... <laughs> Uh, Here are some scriptural passages that communicate God's character or whatever from Leviticus. And you'll be amazed at how much is in there that Jesus is just simply putting into practice in his ministry. This is why Paul talks about, and Jesus as well, that no pinstroke from the law will ever be struck out. Because the law itself laid down an accommodation version, meaning a sort of like doable human version of God's ethics and his character. And that's why so much of Jesus' conversation about fulfilling the law and the prophets is about ultimately doing in us what we couldn't do by just reading an Old Testament law. So we're supposed to, you know, take care of foreigners and strangers. Yeah, well, that's great and good to know that's the rule. But at the end of the day, the rule is only going to guilt me into realizing how terrible I am at dealing with foreigners and strangers. But through the Spirit of God, he now enables us to actually care and be concerned with foreigners and strangers, because that's a part of God's character. Does that make sense? Maybe? Some of you are like, what, Leviticus is what we're talking about? Gosh, I got real confused from the beginning. Um, So, the ethics of Scripture that go from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture that kind of underlie a lot of these things. And this goes along uh, with some of the themes, too, for sure. So, things like uh, the weak and the poor. You can't read the prophets, and I've said this a lot, you cannot possibly read the prophets and fail to recognize that this God who is angry is angry for one reason, and that's that people are exploiting people who are needy and poor and taking advantage of them while pretending to be religious. When those two combinations gets God more angry than anything else because it's an absolute rejection of his very character. And over and over and over and over again, this is what God is talking about through the prophets. And and so this is a big deal. It's a big part of the ethics. Dealing with evil directly, not kowtowing around it. This is another thing. You know, if you look through the, and that's both evil in our own lives, but it's evil in the world around us. Paul, right now in the apprentice class, we're going through all the false teacher letters where they talk about how to deal with false teachers over and over and over again. It is not Try to find the best in their argument and, you know, work with them. It is deal with them directly and don't let them pervert the gospel so as to bring other people along with them. And so a lot of us, false teaching, that's kind of weird and we don't know what that is and we don't talk about that a whole lot around here. But I guarantee you when we see it, we deal with it directly. Um, and some of us, that's, uh, you know, that's just, you know, about trying to kind of correct. It's not truly false teachers coming in our midst and trying to teach things that are really... Uh, completely heretical. But they certainly dealt with that a lot. Avoiding worldly popularity and the popularity game that makes people feel really good but then makes them look uh, completely different from God's character. 
working hard and being financially responsible, overcoming temptation. Guys, the list goes on and on and on. And so much of uh, these ethics are laid down at, for the first time in the Levitical passages and all of the laws. So what I'm suggesting to you is that you quote Leviticus to anyone and everyone around you uh, as much as you can. No, come on, that's terrible. Uh, no, yeah, no. Uh, this is about understanding the ethics that go from one time period in the scripture to the next that didn't just start with Jesus. Jesus didn't just, you know, he was living out the law as he did ministry. But all of these things go back, and this is going to be one of the most important things when we're trying to, to discover uh, the God of the Old Testament looking like Jesus is understanding these law passages and recognizing that so much of them uh, reflected God's character. Even just the whole idea of the year of Jubilee, which has gotten some weird socialist fanfare, um, the year of Jubilee, I would say probably look up myths about the year of Jubilee, if that's what you're like super into. Um, because there's a lot of myths around that, particularly from you like liberal socialist, don't understand economics very well people. Um, <laughs> That is not what the uh, year of Jubilee really was about. But I will tell you that there were really specific laws in the Leviticus uh, law book about uh, making sure that when you loan money, you understand the difference between a needy person and not charging interest to a needy person uh, and the difference between someone who can afford and having a basically a sliding scale for interest. Guys, in our society, that sliding scale is completely opposite. We charge the most amount of interest for the poorest and neediest. And we charge the least amount of interest to the people who can afford the least amount of interest. Now, I'm not making an argument uh, that we ought to do something similar to this, although I think we should. Uh, I'm also not, wasn't it Ben Carson who wanted to do uh, Levitical law uh, tax, tax reform? I'm pretty sure that was, oh, that was a terrible idea. Um, but what is important from this is knowing that God's character is about taking care of, of the needy. And that was uh, from the very beginning, coming up with the first known laws of that time period, dealing with uh, people who are foreigners, strangers, things like that. And even the year of Jubilee and all of that stuff about land going back to the original landowner really was uh, a great way to keep property out of the hands of a select few. Um, and so there's just some amazing things in there to really be able to uh, talk about God's character. Now, I'm not recommending that those are things you absolutely ought to know, uh, but these are all ways, I think, that we can communicate God's character as good news, is that from the beginning, God was concerned with these things and didn't just sort of decide, like, oh, my gosh, it's the 20th century. I should probably be concerned with these things now. Um, he had always been. They're, they're, it's not that they were on his agenda and plan because they sounded really good. They're deeply rooted in his character and his nature. And if you skip that, you got really nothing uh, in terms of meat to convince people that that ought to be the way things are. So does that make sense? I don't know. It kind of makes sense to me, but that doesn't mean anything really. Uh, so using the scripture in daily life, if you really want to communicate God's character, you start with Jesus' behavior and you really get specific with it. Uh, the one and other passages are great uh, for really communicating that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I think uh, sort of underneath all of that, it's a little bit harder for us is to figure out these ethics, these, these sort of guides that, uh, that are consistent from beginning to end when it comes to how God wants to treat people and is concerned for people uh, that underline his character. Any questions before we, uh, we do communion? So next week... 
uh, we're going to talk about God's work, and we'll talk about, uh, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, we can give people advice and, um, and, you know, teach truth and belief. But again, we start with that one a lot of times when we need to back up, I think, and start with the whole talking about God's plan and how we see that and talking about God's character and then move to that third one, which is often about helping people see reality, truth, develop beliefs in, in, in our conversations. Um, I gave you two assignments, I think, last time, and I know many of you probably didn't have a chance to do this. I didn't this week. Um, one of them was to uh, kind of uh, mention something, for a quote or a story to someone who you didn't know was a Christian or not and just kind of see the reaction, even if it's like, an ethic. You could, you could say, hey, what do you think about this whole idea of the year of Jubilee? That's weird. You wouldn't want to phrase it like that, right? Uh, you'd have to, you know, yeah, make sense of that. Uh, and they'd be like, what's that? Uh, and then that would end your conversation. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I still want you to do that. I still want you to say, and maybe this is like a summer long thing for you, that you really work up the courage to actually bring something up. And I would say, again, sometimes if you're afraid of bringing something up, the way that you are thinking about it is maybe not that natural. Not, some of you are just being cowardly, and you need to let the Spirit work through you, okay? But some of you, uh, it's just like you don't have a real, you haven't thought about it enough to be, bring it up in a way that's just really not off-putting and, and is a little bit more natural. And that's why you can send it to someone else and kind of think about it. Again, you're not coming up with a list of things. The point here is that as we read Scripture, guys, we're using it in our daily life as we interact with Christians and non-Christians to encourage to challenge, to get people to think through things they've never thought about, uh, to bring it back in a trivial use. So I really want to encourage you to do that again, uh, or write a story that, and culturally adapt it, make it uh, um, uh, helpful for our generation. I think that could be really cool. Or, and I want to add more assignments, because why not? Assignments are cool, um, uh, especially during the summer. Come up with a one another passage and write, not come up with one, <laughs> take one, and then write it in, in a way that makes a lot of sense, that connects with something that you're experiencing or struggling with or, uh, you know, whatever, and being able to, uh, to share that. Uh, what does that mean? Because a lot of these have, have words that we've spiritualized, and so that, that can become, or, or words that we don't use anymore. And so I'll try to cr- uh, write one of those in, uh, and focus on it this week and come up with uh, a way to rephrase that or communicate that to someone. Or again, a specific story from Jesus' life. Uh, that, uh, that's really impacted you or, uh, you know. I mean, I can't tell you how many of these little small quips I kind of put in places. Like that one I use all the time. Um, Jesus asked 190 questions but only, you know, uh, made this many statements. I mean, just that kind of stuff. Like I, that, that stuff's just not controversial. It gets you talking to people about stuff uh, and it can be very helpful. Okay, so we're going to take communion now. And if you haven't uh, done communion with us, I'm just going to take the bread, dip it in the uh, juice. We'll come back, we'll sing uh, a little bit more, and, uh, and then we'll uh, dismiss. Lord God, thank you so much for being a good God. It's easy to say, uh, and we've yet to even remotely experience the depth of uh, your goodness and your character. I pray for those who are new in their relationship in here, uh, that they would get to experience that uh, more and more. That they would want that, that they would desire it. For those of us who've been walking with you for some time, that we would never grow rigid in our understanding of our religion and our Christianity, um, but that at the core, at the depth of that, would be your character and your goodness and a constant desire to uh, grow closer, uh, looking closer and being closer to what you've actually intended us to be. As we uh, take communion, we thank you, Jesus, for giving us the best example we've had yet.
and the perfect example, the only example we need uh, of what it looks like to really understand your character and uh, how to treat people. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.